1: to Fruit Loops episode 217. Bienvenidos, bitches, and buitibinafi. Thanks for listening. I'm in my own musical scene. (laughs) Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are other than the victims, because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, able-bodied, white dudes. No! Get out of here! crazy that's right these crimes rarely get any public attention want to know why want to know why want to know why can i show you something can i show you something mom want to see want to see want to see well it's because the news is racist (gasps) allegedly
0: (laughs) and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. That's right, y'all.
1: Fix Beth a plate. She's coming over for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Leave those raisins at home, Beth. Leave those raisins at home, Beth. We don't want your potato salad, Beth, but we like you a lot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't, I, just... I don't make shitty potato salad. <laughs> <laughs> raisins. <laughs> I know you don't. i am just giving you a hard time. All that to say, she's one of the good ones.
0: <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. All right, so who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Alexander Wayne Watson, a serial killer active in Anne Arundel County in Maryland in the 1980s and 90s, and he committed his first murder as a juvenile.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty a wild. serial killer juvenile. <laughs> Unusual, for sure. Yeah, but before we get into
0: it, how you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, it's uh, December. We're getting into the holidays, which is Mm -hmm. glorious, but it's also very stressful. Yeah.
1: God damn it! There is a period in your life where Christmas is like the best. The best. You you don't don't have to worry about anything, any any presents. You might maybe have to clean your room, maybe do one project over winter break, but that's it. The
0: worst part was waiting for Christmas to come. Really? Yeah, that I, was the worst part.
1: Oh, I remember, I don't remember waiting and being anxious about that, but I remember just always having stuff to do, including open presents, including going to somebody's house, including having free time oh, to ride my yeah. bike in the middle of the day, including free time to watch, you know, stories with my grandmother at Judge Judy. It was great. Yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do that anymore. And all no. I want for Christmas is those times back. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. It's a TikTok, TikTok. There's only one paycheck between now and Christmas. Which, Yikes. yeah. It's. I mean, if you've got, we have kids, but we told our kids Santa isn't coming this year. What? Yeah, we told them that Santa and his elves need to devote their attention to all the kids over the world who really need it. Oh, wow. And guess what? That's not you guys. <laughs> we <laughs> don't need anything and he ain't coming here. Wow. So what we're going to do is a few gifts amongst each other, but we're not going all out this year. And oh, wow. I'm ex- I, I feel like that's really taken a big amount of pressure off of us right. as parents, right? Because yeah. I told you the stories about I was bending over backwards making powdered sugar footprints of yeah, I remember. And, yeah, and like Santa. Not yeah. doing that shit anymore. So, no. I mean, okay. I think they still believe, but um too bad. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into some <laughs> listener letters. Alright. Thank you, Angels. Yes, yes, thank you. What's in that
0: bag, Beth? Well, we got an email from Lindsay in Canada. Oh! And Lindsay wanted to say hello. She said she missed our voices and hadn't tuned in for a little bit. That's okay. We're glad you're back. Yeah. And Lindsay wanted to recommend uh, Lawman Bass Reeves on Paramount+. Plus which I had recommended, I don't know, a
1: couple weeks ago, maybe yeah, three. a few weeks ago. Yeah.
0: yeah. And um, yeah, it's great. And Lindsay also listened to a podcast on Spotify about his life and read the book, The Legend of Bass Reeves by Gary Paulson, and recommended that. Oh, wow.
1: three shout outs. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Okay. <laughs> that deserves a heroine. <laughs>
0: Also, wanted to say congratulations to Lindsay. Yeah. Because Lindsay is pregnant. She, yeah. Lindsay, is with child. She's very <laughs> excited about it. So, yeah. congratulations, are- Lindsay.
1: Yes, congratulations. We are excited for you and the fruity child coming into this world. Yeah. And uh, she also talked about how pregnancy is not really the bee's knees, if you know what I no, mean. No, I did hard. not like it. <laughs> I did not like it, Lindsay. It so was hard. So you know, there's that. So anyway, but we are excited for you. Congratulations. Also, thank you, Lee W, for your email and subject suggestion going on the
0: list. Yep, going on the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And please send any questions or comments to Fruit Pod at gmail dot com or leave us a voicemail at six zero two nine three five six two nine four.
1: And we may feature it on a future episode. All right. So we got so much support this week. We just want to say thank you. We got Patreons and Kofis. We would like to thank Nicole K for your handsome Patreon. Sunflower Dove is a returning champ. What's up? And Teresa F. S., thank you for your Kofi donation. And in the donation, Teresa also said, I love your show. And guess what? We love you too. And (laughs) I'm going to give you these air horns now because I forget everything. (laughs) <laughs> but I hope you don't hate these tunes <clears throat> Nicole K this is for you girl the fireside is blazing bright we're partying through the night and Nicole K <laughs> will be a very special patron fruity whoa whoa whoa! <laughs> Thanks, Nicole Good and one. some a flower this is for you. <clears throat> Put your pinky fingers to the moon. Ha! <laughs> what y'all trying to do? Sunflower dove is in the air. Head to toe, soul player. I look out. <laughs> okay, next one. <laughs> Teresa, this is for you. <clears throat> what am I supposed to say when I'm all choked up and you're okay? Thanks so much, Teresa. Teresa. Yeah. Thanks so much, Teresa. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, y'all, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Keep it out for your merch. We're going to get into the story when we come back. episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd
0: do if you had an extra hour a day? Hmm. Spend more time with your kids? Go to the hmm. gym? Hmm. Work
1: on a hobby? Take a nap? (laughs) Can you do all those things in 60 minutes? Just kidding. (laughs) You know, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But what we do with that time, we don't always know. But the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what it is. And therapy can help you figure that out. Find what matters to you most and make it a priority so that you can find the time to do more of it.
0: Yeah. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for everyone. Mm -hmm. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And I've been in and out of therapy most of my life. Same. And it has had such a positive influence on my life that I honestly do not know who I would be without therapy. And I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) know.
1: I don't want to know either. (laughs) Listen, Bev and I have both used BetterHelp. Yeah. And we love it. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can
0: also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to
1: make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com fruit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today?
0: Our subject today is Alexander Wayne Watson, a serial killer from Anne Arundel County in Maryland who killed three women and a girl
1: in the 1980s and 90s. All right, so we would like to wish love and light upon the victims and their memories and their communities, loved ones and family members, everyone left in the wake of this tragedy. Rest in power to Boontem Anderson, 34 years old, Mary Elaine Sharika, 37, Lisa Kathleen Hainel, 14, and Deborah Cobb, 37. Now he was convicted of killing three women. But that fourth one, he
0: Am I... He was convicted of all of them.
1: Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh, he did he killed 3 of them before he turned 18. I think he only killed 1. Okay. Before
0: he turned 18. But yeah, he oh, killed all boy. 4 of them and he was convicted of all 4 of them.
1: Okay, forget I said anything. Let's get <laughs> into the setting because context and history are important. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Anne Arundel County
0: in Maryland the original homeland of the Piscataway and Susquehannock people. Maryland has a deep Native American history which spans at least 13,000 years.
1: Native Americans hunted and gathered on these lands, and as time went on, they began to practice farming as well. People lived year-round in villages surrounded by smaller villages and camps living in wooden structures, which the Piscataway call longhouses.
0: English colonizers arrived in Maryland on March 25, 1634, landing at St. Clement's Island. They were led by Leonard Calvert and established St. Mary's City, the first Maryland settlement. The territory was named Maryland in honor of Henrietta Maria, the Queen Consort of Charles I.
1: Oh, Queen Consort, huh?
0: Queen Consort.
1: Does that just mean that the queen what does that mean that the queen it's, doesn't like I means she or is you're not- she is
0: not the queen.
1: Okay. I
0: believe Camilla is also a queen consort.
1: Yeah, but which, I thought that was just because Queen Elizabeth didn't like her.
0: There are different reasons why they might be queen consort rather than queen, mm-hmm. but they're still the wife of the king. Yeah. They're just it's a different title and it doesn't have as
1: much Wait, import as queen. Yeah. Import, as uh, queen. Okay. yeah. Okay. Well, as you can see, this is all very stupid, and the whole monarchy <laughs> should be <wet>. away. <laughs> it is very stupid. <laughs> of, the province of Maryland was an English colony, one of the original 13, and was administered by the English Lord Baltimore. The colony existed from 1634 until 1776. 17. 1776, <laughs> when it joined the other 12 colonies in rebellion against Great Britain and became the U.S. state of Maryland. Matthias
0: Souza was an early settler of the province of Maryland and is often cited as the first person of African descent to vote in an American legislature. Because he was present at a 1641 Maryland assembly meeting.
1: That's a cool fact I didn't know about. Yeah, D'Souza came to Maryland in 1634 as an indentured servant of Jesuit priests who identified him as being mulatto, which is a word we don't use anymore because it's derogatory. But it implied that he was ethnically mixed. D'Souza's racial, ethnic, and religious background is still debated among academics, although he is largely believed to have been of mixed Portuguese and African background.
0: The first documented Africans were brought to Maryland in 1642, when 13 enslaved people were brought to St. Mary's City in order to develop the economy in a similar way to Virginia, with tobacco, which is labor-intensive, and it was the cash crop.
1: All right, so we got this stuff that we want to grow and sell.
0: Yeah. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Because we don't want to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we don't really. It sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) It does. So, um, well, we'll tell you what they did. In 1664, (laughs) Maryland legalized slavery, and it was not abolished for another 200 years. The labor of enslaved people and the commodities it produced provided the foundation for Maryland's economy and formed its society. By the way, people talk about how today nobody is alive who owns enslaved Africans or who was an enslaved African. Right. Sure. Totally. But all this wealth that was built at the hands and the backs of these enslaved Black people made a lot of wealth for a lot of people. Yeah. And those people's families, legacies, businesses continue to reap the benefits of all of that wealth. Yep. And the Black people who were enslaved do not. Did not, So you didn't even have to own slaves. In fact, I don't give a fuck if you do, but I certainly do not want to hear you say that stupid-ass argument because the fact of the matter is, this is one of the big reasons why there is such a wealth gap in our country. So I'll get off my pedestal and shut the heck up. Go ahead, Beth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Enslaved workers on the tobacco plantations fueled the colony's economic growth during the 17th and 18th centuries. The fortunes amassed from the free toil of enslaved men, women, and children allowed Maryland's gentry to dominate colonial politics and propelled some to national prominence.
1: Another thing I gotta say about colonial. Another thing. Another thing. There was a point in American history when being a colonizer was actually pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. being a colonizer or uh, part of a commonwealth under a colonizer wasn't that bad. But now colonizer, imperialism, that stuff is bad because it's taking away people's stuff and their cultures and their way of life. And so nobody wants to, I mean, being a colonizer or a colonial power is gross. But we didn't know that back then.
0: Anyway. Yeah, back then it was like. Acceptable, uh, I guess. Not only that, but it was uh, admired. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: But. Not by the people necessarily that, that were, were being colonized, colonized. right? No, no, yeah, it's just. But this might we're just
0: talking about like white people,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the the colonial powers, and I, I mean, power is attractive. So if a yeah, nation exactly is that's so that's pirate, it, it's the power. Yeah,
0: right, but it's
1: it. Actually, I think it's, it's growth, yeah, and has been the whole time. It's just taken yeah. us a
0: while to, I think, to come to, to back that back. realization. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. In 1755, about 40 percent of Maryland's population was African-American and most of them enslaved. Slavery's influence can still be felt. Black people have endured poverty, police brutality, discrimination, housing discrimination well into the 21st century. In the year
0: 2000, recognizing slavery's importance to Maryland's history, the legislature created the Commission to Coordinate the Study, Commemoration, and impact of slavery's history and legacy.
1: That is dope. I wonder if all those stop woke bills have maybe put this to a halt. Anyway, seven years later, both houses of the Maryland legislature and the Annapolis City Council officially expressed their, quote, regret for the role Maryland played in instituting and maintaining slavery, unquote. And then they all took a knee with their kente clods around their <laughs> shoulders. Oh, wait, wrong, 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 wrong thing. Sorry, I'm getting, yeah. my, I'm getting my performative allyship confused.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs> Emancipation ushered in a societal sea change across Maryland, particularly for the state's sizable black population. The 1860 U.S. Census listed about 87,000 enslaved Black residents statewide and another 84,000 who were free. Mm. That's a lot of people.
1: It is a lot of in people. In 1860. hmm Maya Davis, a historian and vice chair of the Maryland Commission on African American History and Culture, said, quote, Maryland had one of the largest populations of free Black people in the country, notably in Baltimore and Annapolis. There were also high concentrations of 50-50 on the Eastern Shore and small enclaves that are still in existence today. And those communities of Black people, I think, are significant. I think that we don't talk about them enough. But those free populations had opportunities to build wealth. And so there are some parts of the country on the East Coast, like in Maryland and Boston, where there was a number of free Black people there are little wealthy, successful communities of Black people to this day because of the opportunities that they had earlier than maybe the, the ones in the South. Right. Another right. thing is a lot of people say Black people own slaves too, but a lot of those instances of Black people owning slaves were these free Black people in places like Maryland who bought their wives and their children out of slavery. Oh. So technically they were they did own slaves. But yeah, they're just trying to save their family. (laughs) Yeah, that's a
0: little different. A little little bit different, but it is something I argument a lot of people like to
1: throw around. Anyway, end of my culture corner. (laughs) So the crimes
0: that we're going to talk about today took place in Anne Arundel County, which was named after the wife of Lord Baltimore. It was originally part of St. Mary's County, the province's first county in the southern portion of the province of Maryland. In 1650, the county separated from St. Mary's and became the third of the 23 Maryland counties.
1: Annapolis, the county seat and Maryland state capital, I didn't know that, has long that. <laughs> been associated with maritime activities, especially trade and tourism. And it is the home of the United States Naval Academy, which was founded in 1845, but did not become desegregated until 1946. Gross. Yeah. In addition to governmental
0: activities and tourism, the county's economy rests on the manufacture of search and navigation equipment, and on printing, fishing, and agriculture, particularly tobacco.
1: There are approximately half a million people in Anne Arundel County. In the year 2000, the racial makeup of the county was approximately 81% white, 14% Black or African-American. And today is approximately 63% white and 18% black. So it's becoming more black. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. There are two towns that make an appearance in our story today. The first is Gambrills, which is located in the middle of a triangle between Baltimore, Annapolis, and Washington, D.C., the area was named after Augustine Gambrill, a plantation owner. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> In 2022, the population was approximately 3,000, so it's a small town. Mm-hmm. And the median income of residents was approximately $140,000. So it's a wealthy town. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And guess what? Huh. It's majority white. About oh, 80, 83% white and 4% black.
1: Wow. Another thing. Another culture. And another thing. I'm sorry. But you look at those numbers, 83% white and 4% black. Most white people believe that diversity, it looks diverse when there are mostly white people and a couple other races. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but to people there's of color, few, there's a yeah. few people of color. It's diverse. You know diverse we are. Yeah. But to <laughs> most people, that's not true diversity. That's no. that's like pepper on your grits. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. So yeah. anyway, the second town is Glen Burnie, a suburb of Baltimore. Although Baltimore is in Baltimore County. From the heart of Glen Burnie, Baltimore is about 20 minutes away Never been any of these places. Nope. It is traditionally a blue-collar community that grew up around a pig iron industry founded in the mid-1700s. Wow, that sounds fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By the 1880s, Black Americans owned some 1,000 acres in what is present-day Glen Burnie and what they called Freetown. It was a place where Black folks could own property and build a home even before slavery ended. Along with Freetown, historically black settlements dotted the map across Maryland pre and post emancipation.
1: When this story took place, Greater Glen Burnie was the most populous area in Anne Arundel County with more than 90,000 residents. The federal government was the largest single employer because of nearby Fort Meade and the National Security Agency. Glenn Burney is approximately 60 percent white and 25 percent black. Now we're getting closer to diversity. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. And I mean, this part is, you know, kind of like the D.C.-ish area, which is a very black area. Right, right. And, you know, these government employers, you know, black people are always like, "Ooh, you got one of them government jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a good thing because it's harder for them to fire you. There's uh, stricter discrimination laws in the within the federal government as opposed to working for a private employer, right? And uh, better benefits. So yeah. yeah, if you can get you one of them government jobs, girl, woo! You, you sick? go get it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Listen to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. It's a fun show about weird stuff. New episodes every Wednesday, Yeah, eggheads. I'm Art. And I'm Andy. And Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time is a podcast about conspiracies, the paranormal, UFOs, unsolved
0: mysteries.
1: We're going to be discussing the Kennedy assassinations. Oh yeah, that's his nickname, Finger-Banging Bob Lazar. Give me some aliens with some good frickin' spacecraft. The whole enchilada. The only thing bigger than Bigfoot's feet are our egos. If you like simulation theory, ancient history, egghead science, and Mandela effect, that kind of stuff. So check it out. New episodes every Wednesday, all the links you need on MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com. And we'll see you in the bunker. So let's get into the early life of Watson. Okay, well, we
0: don't have much. Oh, uh, <laughs> all I have is that he was born on September 24th, 1969. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about his family or his early life. If he was born in that area, if they moved to that area, if he had any siblings, don't know anything. Not a,
1: not a, not but. a ting, yeah. not a ting. Okay, my friend, not a ting. <laughs> Wait, what do you have? You got some plantains and beans and rice over there? <laughs> tings. My friend Beth said tings. Okay. <laughs> I love you. But uh, yeah, I couldn't find anything either. So if listeners know anything about this case, if you're from the area, you have any details, we would love it if you would eliminate this this part of the case or any other part. But let's move on down to the timeline. So in November 1985, when he was 16, Watson's parents bought a house and the family moved into the Four Seasons neighborhood of Gambrills, a highly sought after and upscale community. Less than one year later, Boontem Anderson, a mother of two, was murdered. So yeah, this Four Seasons neighborhood.
0: Gambrels already we talked about it's an upscale town. Uh, mostly white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the four seasons neighborhood was also like very coveted. So
1: Uh huh, I bet. They must have had money. Yeah, got some really great opportunity. I imagine the schools there were probably also better. You got a sixteen-year-old yeah. kid, like, got yeah, But we know. don't
0: know where they came from, though. So yeah, or yeah. what his home life was like, we just mm-hmm. don't know. Yes, but the victim, Boontem Anderson, mm-hmm. was originally from Thailand. Oh. Her husband was in the U.S. military during the Vietnam War, and that's when they met. Oh, the couple had two children. And then they later divorced.
1: At the time of her death, Boontem was living with her boyfriend and his son in the Four Seasons neighborhood in Gambrills, not too far from where Watson, who was still a minor at the time, was living with his parents. Watson was actually acquainted with Boontem's boyfriend's oldest son as they worked together at the same fast food restaurant.
0: Boontem was a civilian employee at Fort Meade, a nearby U.S. Army base. But on October 8th, 1986, she stayed home sick. That day, when her boyfriend's 11-year-old son returned from school, he found her body face down in a bathtub. Mm. The killer had tied Miss Anderson's hands behind her back, and she had been stabbed and strangled. Her body left partially nude.
1: Just staying home sick. Yeah. And that poor young boy who found his mom. Yeah. An autopsy revealed that she had been sexually assaulted and stabbed before being strangled to death. Several swabs of body fluid were taken from her body and kept for future testing. In addition, a fingerprint was found on a hair dryer, which had apparently been thrown into the tub with the body.
0: Whoa. Yeah. According to Boontem's daughter, Kimberly, at some point after her mother had died, Watson offered her a ride home. But instead of taking her home, Watson turned down a different road and asked Kimberly, quote, What would you do if I kidnapped you and raped you? Unquote.
1: Oh my God. God. Yeah. Okay, so he's so young that this leads me to believe that there is something very wrong at home or very wrong upstairs. Yes, there's
0: definitely something
1: very, very wrong for sure. Yeah. yeah. So Kimberly, who was just a teen at the time, told him, quote, I would make sure they know it's you by leaving every mark I can on you, unquote. She was totally creeped out, but had no idea at the time that Watson had raped and murdered her mother. And thankfully, she got home without incident. Whew.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Terrifying. Yeah. Early on the morning of May 23rd,
0: 1988, Mary Elaine Shreika, who went by Elaine, went jogging. This was part of her normal morning routine. The 37-year-old mother of two who worked as a paralegal loved jogging, and she jogged regardless of weather.
1: I admire people like that. Yeah. (laughs) You do
0: it. (laughs) I can't.
1: I can't either. Can't do it. On this particular day, though, she never returned home. Alarmed, her boyfriend organized a search party, but Elaine's body was found by a farmer in his field. Her partially clothed body was found in a puddle of blood. She had been raped, stabbed, and strangled, and her throat slashed. Watson later said that she jogged by
0: him while he was using drugs. And he ran her down and dragged her into the woods where he raped and murdered her. But police believed that he had seen her jog that route before and that he had actually laid in wait for her. Interesting.
1: An autopsy revealed that she was raped and stabbed before being strangled to death, which was similar to Boontem's murder. The police collected several swabs of body fluids from this crime scene as well. And they also found a bloody sock next to the victim's body. The initial suspect in this
0: case was Michael Michalajunos, age 23. Michael and Elaine's daughter, Jennifer, age 17, had met at work and he had asked her out. But Elaine had forbidden Jennifer from dating him. She thought he was too old for her and that he was involved in drugs. Elaine actually physically pushed Michael off their front
1: porch when he came to visit Jennifer. Hmm. Michael behaved strangely after Elaine's murder, and he attempted to unalive himself. Jennifer was convinced that Michael had killed her mother, and she was left tormented with the thought that had she not befriended Michael, her mother would still be alive.
0: A little over a year after Elaine's murder, on July 5th, 1989, Michael Junos was charged with the murder of a man named Chris Weathers. Michael had beaten Chris with a baseball bat during an argument over drugs. Mm. But even after this conviction, Michael still maintained that he did not kill Elaine, and DNA testing eventually did rule him
1: out. In the early 90s, Watson married a woman named Vanessa, and the couple moved into an apartment in Glen Burnie near Old Mill High School. They eventually had two children. On the morning of
0: January 15th, 1993, Lisa Kathleen Hanel, 14, and a ninth grader at Old Mill High School, left her apartment and headed for school. Lisa was a straight-A student who is often hired as a babysitter by neighbors.
1: Meg Enk, Lisa's mother, later recalled her daughter's desire to become a pediatric oncologist, a doctor who treats children who have cancer. A three-year-old neighbor who had died of cancer in 1992 prompted her to look at a career in medicine. She said, quote, That was the kind of person Lisa was. She wanted to help whenever possible, unquote. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Lisa lived with her mom in a Glen Burnie apartment complex called Southgate. Watson and his family lived in the same complex, which was just a 10-minute drive away from where Elaine Shereka had lived.
1: Lisa never came home that afternoon, and when Lisa's mom found out that she had never actually made it to school, she began to panic. She called the police and friends and family began to search for her. The next morning, her mother's boyfriend found Lisa's body in a ravine near the path that Lisa would take to school every day.
0: She was left completely nude except for a sock. There were stab wounds all over her body, and she was strangled to death as well. But unlike the other victims, there was no evidence that Lisa had been sexually assaulted, and fluids could not be collected from her body.
1: But about 17 feet from the body, police found an unsmoked Newport cigarette with blood on it. The blood, when tested, turned out to be Lisa's, But saliva from the cigarette's filter was someone else's, and it was used to create a DNA profile of the killer. Yes.
0: On June 13th, 1994, about a year and a half after Lisa's murder, Deborah Cobb, 37, an office manager in Prince George's County and a mother of two, was stabbed to death at an office in Forestville. Her throat slashed. Cash and checks were stolen from the business.
1: So that's it for the timeline. Now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. So we were unable to learn exactly how in the heck Watson became a suspect in the murder of Lisa Cobb, but he was working at a company called United Van Lines at the time at an office in the same plaza as Deborah's. Her ID was found in his desk.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if they suspected him and then they found the ID or if somebody found the ID and then he became, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which came first, the ID yeah. or the suspect? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It the age-old question. Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to get into the trial. Hit it, Beth. Well, there
0: was no trial because oh. Watson pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, and in December of 1994, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In a letter to a judge before his sentencing, Watson blamed Deborah's murder on his addiction to crack cocaine.
1: Ah, the crack epidemic, which we didn't really talk too much about in the history. No. But that played a big role in the psyches, the safety, the economy, all of it, of the Black community. And Black youth, I wonder if that's why they moved. Black youth were also adversely affected, even the ones who weren't using. So, yeah, that. uh, Yeah, we
0: talked about that in another episode, how much it affected people. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like crack is like a, it's another character in the story, if you will. In a subsequent letter dated January 27th, 1995, he asked the judge to lessen his sentence, writing that what he had done was, quote, horribly wrong. And if given a second chance, your honor, someday I am sure I can prove to the court and society that I am not a threat to anybody, unquote. And guess what? The judge said, hell no.
0: And in this story, he has a Southern he accent, a southern like accent. Scarlett O'Hara.
1: Uh, yeah, sorry. I couldn't help myself. Um, but his but is how not happened. ridiculous, that Scarlett O'Hara lady in that movie, even though I've never seen it.
0: In 1998, a cold case unit was formed, and around the same time, the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS, started to be used in crime solving. So this is early days of DNA usage. Yeah. 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 And it was this breakthrough in law enforcement that helped officers narrow down on and finally link Watson to the three previous crimes.
1: When Watson was convicted for Deborah Cobb's murder, the police got access to his DNA, and on feeding it to CODIS, they found an exact match with the DNA gathered from the other murder scenes.
0: In 2002, the cold case team discovered through DNA testing that Elaine Sharika and Lisa Hanel were killed by the same person. And in 2003, they were able to link Boontem Anderson's murder as well.
1: Watson's DNA was found on the bodies of Boontem and Elaine, a bloody sock near Elaine's body and the cigarette found near Lisa's body. Investigators determined that Watson was living in the same neighborhoods as his victims at the time of their deaths, and he had worked with Bontem Anderson's son at a fast food restaurant.
0: After the DNA samples matched, cold case investigators re-examined thousands of pages of paperwork, interviews, and notes from the original detectives in all three cases through the lens of Watson being a suspect. And in July of 2004... Watson was charged with the three murders.
1: In August of 2007, Watson accepted a plea deal admitting in court in Annapolis that he had killed Boontem Anderson, Elaine Sharika, and Lisa Hanel. Under the plea bargain, prosecutors agreed not to seek the death penalty.
0: Speaking for the victims' families, Elaine Sharika's daughter Jennifer said the guilty pleas did not represent a great victory or warrant a celebration. Quote, we have not gotten a violent offender off the streets of this county. All that has been done today is that three women's files can finally be closed, their boxes put away for good after far too many years, unquote. And that was because he was already in jail.
1: Yeah, it's just a weird thing to say that uh, the files can be closed. Yeah, uh,
0: I think she was, uh, there was more quotes from her. Mm-hmm. She was talking about There's never any closure. Mm. Um, She hates the word closure Oh, because there's no closure for her. Yeah. It's just part of her life.
1: Constant loss. Yeah. So prosecutors said that they struck the deal at the urging of the victims' families. Jennifer said the decision to support the agreement was made after a great deal of discussion, thought, prayer, soul-searching, and tears.
0: Elaine's family wanted to make sure that he was held accountable for all three murders. Watson was eligible for the death penalty only in Elaine's murder, since he was an adult at the time and she was sexually assaulted, one of the aggravating factors required for execution.
1: Watson was a minor when he killed Boontem Anderson, and there was no evidence that Lisa Hainel was sexually assaulted. So the death penalty was possible only in the murder of Elaine Sharika. Faced with a potentially long capital case and uncertain prospects for conviction in the Hainel case, the victim's families endorsed the plea bargain.
0: Part of the deal was an arrangement that prosecutors said was unprecedented in Anne Arundel. Before the sentencing, the families were allowed to meet one-on-one with Watson. Whoa! But Watson gave little insight into why he had committed the crimes, and he never apologized. Oh, yeah.
1: Gosh, I. How frustrated I'm frustrated for the loved ones. Yeah. In a letter to the court, Elaine Sharika's son, Dan, wrote that the meeting showed Watson had no remorse. Quote, he looked at us with blank eyes and gave pat answers to our questions. He stated with no feeling that he was getting high in the park when my mother ran by and thought, I got away with it before, so I figured I could get away with it again. Unquote. The question
0: why for each victim was simply that he was getting high And the victim came by, which I think is bullshit. I think so, too. Like Boontem Anderson was just Mm -hmm. going by in her house.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) wait a minute. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's it's laughable because it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. He claimed that all were crimes of opportunity where he happened to catch the victim alone. I think that's bullshit, too. And he expressed no remorse for the murders.
1: He was sentenced to four additional life imprisonment terms, which were to be served concurrently with his previous sentence. The judge said, quote, I think you are an evil man. I think you are dangerous, unquote. So now we're going to talk about where are they now? Tell
0: us, Beth. Watson is currently incarcerated at the North Branch Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland. Watson's wife, Vanessa, divorced him in 2001.
1: Tim Anderson's son, Timothy, succumbed to drug addiction and he passed away. The victims' families grew close after the cases were linked, and Elaine's daughter, Jennifer, and Boontem Anderson's daughter, Kimberly, became friends. They continued to support each other.
0: Lisa's mother noted how much her daughter's friends still loved her. She said, quote, Lisa had a circle of friends that shared a candle shaped like a birthday cake. Aww. The candle was passed from friend to friend through the years as each birthday came. They've all grown up and moved on, but each year on Lisa's birthday, the candle appears on her grave, unquote.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. What a way to remember somebody. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to get into what we think made this individual snap and our takes and thoughts. What do you got, Beth?
0: I have no idea what made this guy snap. It's a Unfortunately, yeah, mm-hmm. we couldn't find anything about his early life. But I do think it's wild that his first murder happened when he was still a teenager. Yeah. That's, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. What could be going so wrong in his life that he felt the urge to rape and murder a woman when he was 17? Yeah. It had to be something bad.
1: Something bad. Yeah. I mean, his family moved to this nice
0: area neighborhood yeah. and in
1: my head they moved to get away from the crack epidemic or something, something. dangerous yeah but it caught him anyway yeah <laughs> crack is a hell of a drug
0: so i watched a couple of shows about this case one was uh on the case with paul Azan, i think it's called mm-hmm. and the other was evil lives here
1: oh yeah
0: yeah and they were both very victim centric, which I appreciate. Nice. I got a lot of the information about the victims from these shows. Nice. Um, but I still found nothing about Deborah Cobb. Huh. I couldn't even find a contemporary news article about her murder. So interesting. I I just uh, sad that I couldn't find anything about Deborah. Huh.
1: Well, Fruities, uh, I know some of y'all are amateur sleuths. And if you know anything about Deborah or where you can point us into a direction, that would be yeah. great. We'd love to be able to provide an update on the details of her life for you. Yeah. But I think that this was a case I'd never heard of. I found yeah. very little information about it. All I found was articles. I didn't even find those episodes that you found. And I found no information about the victims. And I was thinking the whole time, God, how does Beth do it? Because you had You had like <laughs> This one's a mob. This one worked here. I was like, oh, I just, if I haven't told you yet, Beth, well done on getting the information you could find about the victims because it was very hard. And Maryland has like a really, really rich history of like race and Black thought leaders and journalists. Yeah. And it just is surprising that we don't know more about this case or the victim itself. And I was thinking about the time frame, right? The '80s, the mid to late '80s, crack is on the rise, and TV news as a business is really taking off through the roof. Right? I mean, CNN started in 1989, and at the time, all the headlines, all the news pieces were based on this criteria of if it bleeds, it leads, Mm -hmm. and there was very little room for details to humanize victims. Right. That's true. If a suspect was discussed, all that was discussed was their race, height and weight. Yeah. They, you know, they may have been engaged in this. I mean, it was minimal because there was a business to get eyes on this program and get advertisers. And if you give the most gruesome details and nothing else to humanize anybody else involved, you can still make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it also seemed to me like these were crimes of opportunity at first. But that jogging lady really got me thinking and the lady at her house got me thinking like it seems like he hunted them. Yes, I I I think so. Yeah, I I don't I don't have I'm not I'm just a podcaster, but it does (laughs) seem like there was um, some targeting involved. Yeah. And that crack maybe put him over the edge to.
0: Made, made him more job, bold, him. Maybe, I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm not going to blame Crack.
1: No, 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 no. But uh, I think it, is, it
0: did make him bolder, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely altered his state of mind. So, yeah, I definitely think that that played a part. I'm at a loss for a why he hunted people or why he yeah. felt like hurting these people. Um, something ain't right. That's all I got. I, yeah, I am glad, though, that the families know what happened to their loved ones. Yeah. And got some kind of justice. I don't know if I want to say closure because that one family member said closure is a shitty word. Yeah. But they still will never know why. And their loss is still real. It's, it remains real forever. And that's the shittiest part is that yeah. their loved ones will never come back. So now let's get into How not to get murdered. Mm. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So, if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. That was a little lower for you, friend. Yeah, a little
0: lower this time.
1: (laughs) This segment
0: is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to True Crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. It's not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences.
1: So what you got, Wendy? Okay, y'all. This was uh, I was browsing the old TikTok timeline, and uh, it's the holidays. We got some traveling going on, some hotel staying. Not me, <laughs> but some people. <laughs> and this is a good time to remember that when you travel to stay safe, in a hotel and this tip comes from a black flight attendant it's at life wit bobby on instagram <laughs> and she says okay so those hotel locks not that they're trash but if somebody wanted to get into your room they're getting into your room so what this flight attendant has jerry rigged is extra fortification of your hotel locks okay. by using tools inside of the hotel that are free 99 so she says, grab two hangers, put one on the latch and another one around the doorknob and link okay. them together. Boom. Uh, can't open that door. It's like a, ch- a, in- a chain that can't be broken. Yeah, unless you have yeah. really crappy hangers. But let's just pray that the, you've got strong hangers in your hotel room and they will work. She said, if you, let's say you're staying in a hotel that doesn't have hangers, a hotel room that doesn't have hangers, because sometimes they don't. You can use a towel as a way to fortify the door and you use the towel loop it through the latch and it prevents the door from opening. Ah, okay. the towel is thick enough to block that from being penetrated so just two safety tips to keep you safe in hotels this holiday season beth and, cool. and uh, follow at life with bobby on ig that's right okay now let's move on to shout out time okay this is where we shout out any content by or about people of color or any minoritized folks or any true crime goodies. I got, well, Rachel told us about the lawman Bass Reeves on Paramount. Right. But Beth shouted that out a little while ago. So forget I said that I wanted to talk about <laughs> <laughs> um, murder in Boston roots, rampage and reckoning on max. That oh, sounds exciting. My God, this might need to be a video club.
0: It's about. Oh, I think I do. I I know this story. Yeah, you, you've
1: you've heard of it. I'm guessing. I
0: remember when it happened.
1: Oh, the white lady who got she's pregnant and she got shot. Yeah, and yep. killed. And her husband yep. was also shot. And her husband yeah. was like, "It's a black guy." And then yep. all the police in Boston were like, "Let's get all the black people. They're all suspects." Yeah. And it turned out. Oh, I got to I spoiler. Yeah, don't, t- don't, don't, oh, don't tell.
0: Don't don't tell. Yeah,
1: God. don't say. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> Who is it always? Think of the first. Who's the first suspect always? Anyway, it is so (laughs) well done. It is so good. And that's what I got. (laughs) What about you? All right. Well, I got a true crime goodie.
0: Ah, It's a wild crime blood mountain on Hulu. Is it? Yeah. So you shouted out a long time ago, wild crime. And I watched that. It was about crimes in national forests. Yeah. This one is... It's a whole different. It's like a separate series. Okay. Wild Crime Blood Mountain. Okay. And it's about a serial killer finding victims in national Forest. So the whole is, thing is about one story.
1: Wait, is it a true story or is it a scripted yes. show? No, Whoa! it's a true story. Okay, yeah. Yeah, me. Me I figured you phone. would like
0: that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started watching The Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus. What? is that it's a crime drama centered around america's
1: prison system
0: whoa yeah i think you'd like it
1: oh i would love it <laughs> little problem though don't have paramount plus but oh okay you know i think uh, a lot of things always eventually go to netflix or hbo so yeah, could, when they, they move could. Yeah. i'll be ready Okay. Um, so <laughs> so that just to recap, that is don't forget our shout-outs from Rachel about the show Lawman Bass Reeves on Paramount Plus, and also the podcast about Bass Reeves, and also Murder in Boston, Roots, Rampage, and Reckoning on Max. New episodes drop Mondays. Also, Wild Crime Blood Mountain on Hulu and <laughs> The Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus. And, oh, oh, look We're here. at that. We're yeah. here. And <laughs> I am graduating from therapy and this is not going to bring me down. So, <laughs> uh, Beth, why don't you tell us where the people can find us until next time?
0: Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use FruitLoopsPod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website, plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review.
1: Five stars only, only please! please. (laughs) (laughs) Also, don't forget to subscribe. That's right. Everything Beth said is true. Now, this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. guts. i i just yeah, i'm sorry I'm <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> when you know, uh, when um sorry i lost my place hmm hmm, hmm. in a letter no oh boy aha it's there a, it after is after trial yeah Desi- I was like, her daughter's Desiree. Why isn't it capitalized? <laughs> Let me start over again.
0: Prince George County. In Prince Prince George's County.
1: Friend, are you okay? <laughs> no, it's... it's it- the second town in Glen Burnie, a suburb yes. of Baltimore. Oh, a second town in Glen Burnie is nope. suburb of... <laughs> what? The second... Okay. The second town in... Or no. The second town is... Glenn, you know what it is? A lot of ends, a lot of amanapia. Yeah, a lot of amanapia.
0: Unfortunately, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I don't know anything about. That's twenty twenty three, right? That's 2023.
1: yeah
0: twenty. 20- okay. I always yeah get confused. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got confused for a second. Right, yeah. Yes, it is the twenty first <laughs> century. <laughs> oh
1: boy, this tea is so good! Yay!
0: March twenty fifth night. Nineteen thirty-four, right? On <laughs> March of or
1: Swiss. I <laughs> no, sorry, <laughs> you're fired. You're fired. I've never fired anybody. This is fun. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bye. Okay, deal. Um. All right. Well. <laughs> uh, okay. Well. See is that the end? The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 3 a.m. The comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, Glitches in the Matrix, Cult Leaders, Missing 411, Night Marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian Devil Worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off-topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends, trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.